Welcome to the anointed and transformational teaching ministry of Pastor Wale Akinshiku, Senior Pastor of House of Praise Mississauga, Canada, a parish of the redeemed Christian Church of God. It is our prayer that as you listen to this message, you will be empowered to achieve your dreams and fulfill your destiny. God bless you as you listen. So now I want to talk about worshiping the Father. Worshiping the Father or relating with the Father. You can call it either one. Worshiping the Father or relating with the Father. Let us pray. Father, we thank you as we receive your word today with thanksgiving. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. Now, when we talk about worship, or shall I put it in the broader context of relationship, the goal of Christianity is for us to relate with the Father, and that relationship with the Father should lead to transformation on the earth. So the goal of Christianity is not just relate with the Father or relate with God. That would be religion. The goal of the relationship or the outcome of the relationship is that things will change here on that. He said, I want you to be fruitful and multiply, subdue the earth, replenish it, then have dominion. Now, for us to be able to do that, obviously, we need to relate with the Father. But the, alt, the goal, the, I mean, the relating with the Father is not a, an end goal in itself. But it is, the, it is the key part for us to be able to have dominion here on the earth. Are you following that? All right. So what happens then is that in, for you and I to relate with the Father, we couldn't relate with him. Let's go back a bit here now. We couldn't relate with him because of our sin. After man fell, all of us were born with the sin nature. Okay? David was writing in Psalm 51. He said, in sin my mother conceived me, in iniquity. We were born with the sin nature, the nature of Adam. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1 to 2 tells us that we were dead in our trespasses and we were by nature, the wrath of God was looming upon us. But when Jesus came, you and I got born again, that rot was lifted. We now have the divine nature. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 says, If any man now be in Christ, is a new creature. All things are passed away. All things have become new. It's a new creation. The divine nature has come into the person. So we are saved. We are not saved by our works. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 6 to 8. So let's set this up. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 6 to 8. Let's go on in verse 7. Ephesians chapter 2. It says that in the ages to come, I show the exceeding riches of the grace and the kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Verse 8. For by grace you have been saved. By grace. Through faith. Not of yourself. It is the gift of God. Keep going, please. Not of works, lest anyone should boast. And this is a confusing part for some people. So some people will have us believe that since we got saved then, we ought not to do anything. Since it's completely and totally by grace. So we got saved by grace. All we need to do right now is just to, so some people have erroneously thought that to be under grace means you don't do anything, you don't have to maintain the relationship, and all of that. You know, it, that, it, it doesn't work that way. You, you know that in the, in the natural, horizontal relationship we have with each other, it doesn't, have, it doesn't work that way. If we don't talk to each other and we don't relate with each other, the relationship would automatically, not an attack of the enemy, automatically atrophy, it would die. If you get married, you spend millions of dollars on your wedding. You bring in thousands and tens of thousands of guests. And some of the most important people in the world. And you get home from the day you get home that evening. You never talk to your wife again. Within a week, she will pack out. She won't even remember the wedding anymore. She will pack out. She would rather go and marry somebody that would talk to her without a wedding. I'm talking to you from experience. 
<laughs> you know, Thompson traveled and came back home yesterday. I don't know. Maybe at least and I saw her. It was early hours of this morning. Maybe about 12.30 a.m. You know, because she had traveled. And I was tired. I'm trying to get myself just to catch one, one or two hours of sleep. Wake up, get ready for today. And she still has stories to say. <laughs> but I told her, I said, but this last day, three days of days you've traveled. But you've been telling me the stories every day. This afternoon, you still told me the same story. Now you're back now, you want to tell me the same story again. I said, I can't, I can't do this. <laughs> she, said, she said, okay, 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 just one thing. That one thing is one hour. <laughs> uh, uh. <laughs> I don't know where, I, I must let you know, I appreciate women. I don't know where they get their energy from, but I, I thank God for them. <laughs> I thank God for them. I thank God for them. So we have to relate with God the Father and we have to maintain it. Philippians chapter 2, let's start from verse 12. Philippians chapter number 2, let's start from verse 12. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence. Now look at what, this, what Paul is writing to the Philippian church to do. He says they should do what? Work out your salvation. You've got to work it out. So it is true you are saved. Paul is writing to the church. He's not writing to unbelievers here. He said, I know you're saved. I'm the one that told you in Ephesians that you are saved by grace, not of works. Well, I'm the same one telling you right now that you now need to let works corroborate your salvation. You need to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Work it out. Work it out. So let's talk about this idea of working out our salvation. This idea of, of, of doing things in the natural to reflect what we believe in the, in, on the inside. Jesus spoke about three key things for us to relate with the Father. Or worship the Father. In the greatest sermon that scholars will tell us uh, ever existed, which is true, the sermon on the mount that Jesus preached. In the book of Matthew chapter 6, let's start from verse 4. Matthew chapter 6, we're going to start, take it down. Let's start from verse 4. Jesus spoke here about something. He said, our Father that we, we have is a Father that can see. Somebody say he sees. Okay, and we spoke about this last week. Then in verse 5, Jesus takes it further, and he says in verse 5, the first phrase there says, when you pray, when you pray. So he's telling us that your father can see, your father can see, your father knows. And he's saying that in order to relate effectively with his father, you've got to pray. Because he says that in verse 6, if we jump to verse 6 quickly, you know, uh, he talks about when you pray, and when it goes down, keep going. He begins to teach us about the Lord's prayer in that place. But it tells us when you pray, and you can see the phrase, when you pray in verse 5, when you pray in verse 6, when you pray in verse 7. What does this when you pray, what does it mean? It's telling you three key things at least. Not exhaustive, the list is not exhaustive, but at least about prayer. Number one, prayer is compulsory. Write it down, please. Because we now live in a, in, a, in a time now whereby people believe that prayer is optional or prayer is only when you are in trouble or when you see somebody praying and perhaps even praying fervently. You think, oh my goodness, this person must have a lot of problem. And so some people even say, well, you know, I go to some churches, they don't pray. That's dangerous. Prayer is compulsory. Jesus Christ tells us something very clear. He said, you have made my, he said, my house, my, my father's house should be a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. So he's telling us that if so, a place is not a house of prayer, you can be rest assured thieves are operating there. Somebody said, but I went to the church, the whole place was colorful. There were no thieves there. There are thieves there. You just don't see them. The Bible says that <laughs> the thief comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. Satan is a thief. And they're not physical thieves. They're demons that are stealing people's lives and stealing people's destiny and stealing what belongs to people. Are you still with me? 
So number one, prayer is compulsory. Number two, prayer must run on a schedule. When? When is, telling you, when is a function of time? Prayer must run on a schedule. In other words, please don't live your life by saying, when I pray tomorrow, man, I'll see when I'll be able to pray tomorrow. No, schedule it. Schedule it. You know, if, if it's, I mean, you, you, you know, you, you have an exam. You have, you, you, most, all of us have done exams before. The exam is not, oh, anytime you get in. No, it's already scheduled. We live our lives by schedule. You know, you don't just get to the bus stop and say, oh, whatever time I get to the bus stop, I will see. No, you see the bus has a schedule. What about the flight? If you want to take a flight from here to, to the U.S., just to the U.S., south of this place, what happens? It's already scheduled. You don't say, well, I, I just see whatever time I get to the airport and lazily and nonchalantly walk up there. You have to schedule it. Now, it doesn't matter what time you schedule it to be. It can be 5 a.m., 6 a.m., it can be in the noon, it can be noon, it can be afternoon, it can be evening, it can be night. Just make sure you have a time that is that comfortable with you. And that's the way our brain works. That's the way our life, our brain works. Put a time, stamp it in your brain. 7 a.m. in the morning. Boom. I will pray. That's it. You see that every other thing you're doing automatically will be flowing towards that 7 a.m. Are you hearing? This might sound very simple to you, but if it's that simple, how come we don't have a lot of people praying? And we know they're not praying because the symptoms in their life is showing that they're not praying. Very simple little things that ought to have been dealt with in the place of prayer. Or simple directions or corrective actions that ought to have been taken in the place of prayer are not taken because people are not praying. The Bible lets us know that. The Bible lets us know that. You know, I said to myself, if it is true that 70% of the people in the United States are evangelicals, that they want to tell us, let us know, or that churchgoers, and about 50-something percent are real, real that they go to church all the time. How come all the terrible things are, that are happening, they're happening? How come it's happening? Because the Bible tells us that if my people that are called by my name, Second Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14, shall humble themselves and pray and turn away from their wicked ways, I will hear from heaven and I will heal the land. How come the land is like that? Are you hearing what I'm saying? When you pray, first thing, prayer is mandatory. Number two, it is what? It must be on a schedule. Number three, prayer is a personal responsibility. Prayer is not a gift. Now, please pay attention to this. Prayer is not a gift. Prayer is a personal responsibility. Let me balance that by saying this to you. There are some people that have received a ministry of intercession from God. They have received a ministry of intercession. But nobody receives a ministry of devotion. So don't confuse the fact that you interface or you relate with somebody that have received a ministry of intercession and you automatically assume that, oh, you know, they are the prayerful one. Please separate. There's a big difference between devotion and intercession. Your devotion is your personal responsibility. But some people have the ministry of intercession. Now, let me say this to you. If, you're, if, you're, if you have four children, you have four children, your last born is a medical doctor, okay? Maybe your second born is an engineer, uh, first born, an accountant, I don't know, third born, a lawyer or something. Do all your children have a responsibility to take care of you? Let's assume you come down with the flu. Just assume. Now, the person comes, not you. Okay, they're looking at me. You're too Pentecostal for me. Ah, I'm just trying to do an illustration here. You're too charismatic and Pentecostal for me. All right, so this particular parent, A, comes down with flu. Has four children, but you like the children part. You see, <laughs> you like the children part. The doctor, the lawyer, the accountant, and the engineer. You like that part. Now, do all the four children have a responsibility to look after, to care for their parents? Yes. Now, but don't forget that one of them has a ministry 
of health. It's a doctor. So you will expect that person to know more about health and about, oh, mom, why don't you take this? Oh, dad, let's do this this way. But nevertheless, the one that is a lawyer, that does, that, that does not know the difference, uh, let me give it to lawyers a bit here. That does not know the difference between tablets and injections. <laughs> because they also try and you know, confuse all of us with their wear off, their off, heater too, and all of that. You know, that does not know, that does not, that, you know, that does, that does not mean that depends on where I'm a lawyer, I don't think I should do this. No. You have a responsibility to relate with your father God. Some people might have received a ministry of intercession, but it doesn't absolve you of your own responsibility. So let's understand that prayer must be compulsory. It is mandatory, it's compulsory, it is, must be scheduled. It's a personal responsibility. But Jesus did not just speak about prayer. He also goes on to say in verse 16, verse 16, Jesus also spoke about fasting. He also said, when you fast. So here, and this is a very important part, Jesus did not also say that fasting is optional. When, when, they, when they came to ask Jesus, he said, you know what? You're, the disciples of John are fasting often, but your own disciples, they eat often. Jesus' answer was very powerful. He said, you cannot make the friends of the bridegroom to fast when the bridegroom is still around. That means I'm still here physically. He said, but when the bridegroom goes, in those days, that's seasonal, in those days, they will fast. Not that they might, they will fast. In those days. And now we're in those days because Jesus is in heaven now. And he had already spoken to us that when you fast, please, please, quick, first and foremost, understand something. Fasting, fast, God answers prayer. Listen very carefully. That's why you have to understand the definition of prayer. God answers prayer based on his will. Whatever is in his word, based on his will. The answer might, however, not get to you. I, I don't know if you're getting what I'm saying. If you ask God, Lord, this is what I want. It's according to his will. He answers. First John chapter 5, because we have to take things from scripture. First John chapter 5, verse 14. First John chapter 5, verse 14. This is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask him anything according to his will, what happens? Yes. He hears us. Okay? He hears us. And the next verse says, now if we know he hears us, then we know that we have the petition of which we have requested. The only problem is that, will it get to you? That's the question. Will the answer get to you? You know, you know, I don't know if it's, you know, you, you, can, you can send something to somebody and say, get, get this thing to, um, please take that and take it to that man there. I've already answered. But does, will it get to the man? And for you, you have to understand that until that loop is closed, until the thing reaches your hand, you don't feel the answer. You know, because God is a spirit, so you don't even know. Okay, have you answered me? Until the thing manifests in your hand, you don't know if, you, if you've been answered. And it might not get to your hand if you don't put yourself in a position of faith to hold on until it reaches your hand. That's one of the reasons why fasting is critical. Fasting, number first and foremost, is our devotion to God. For us presenting our bodies as a living sacrifice. Romans chapter 12, verse 1 to 2. Romans chapter 12, verse 1 to 2. When you fast, not if you fast, when you fast, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present, what should you present now? Your bodies as a sacrifice. Now, when you see the word sacrifice in the Bible, you can also easily substitute for the word worship. Okay? Okay? You know, we sing the song, we bring our sacrifice of praise. You know, we call it sacrifice of praise. Sacrifice is also worship. Okay? It's as a living worship to God. Holy. Acceptable to God. It's a reasonable thing to do. It's not unreasonable. 
So it's not unreasonable to fast. It's a very reasonable thing to do. Present your body. And the interesting thing here is that he didn't say somebody else will present it for you. You present your body. Now, if God says it's reasonable to do, it means it's common. It's normal. It's normal. But we now live in a world whereby, you know, there's so much prosperity. There's so much abundance that everything keeps calling us. It's so difficult now for many people to fast. And because people don't understand that the fasting that they engage in, that they're engaging in, is, number one, a devotion to God. It's a reasonable service. It's a reasonable service. That's number one. Number two, it strengthens your faith. That's why Jesus said when you fast. You know the story in the book of Mark, uh, sorry, Matthew chapter 17. You start from verse 20 there about. You are, while the people came to Jesus and said, we could not cast it. Why could we not cast this out? You know, maybe you start from verse 19. He said, why could we not cast this out? In verse 19, they came to him privately. Okay? And they asked him, why could we not cast it out? They were talking about a particular situation. In verse 20, Jesus told them why. He said, it is because of your unbelief. He says that clear. He said, because of your unbelief. So that's an issue of faith. But in verse 21, he's now telling them that it's, there is prayer and fasting that helps you to strengthen your faith. Now, look at this now. Jesus' disciples were going on, walking on the street. A situation developed. The, a man brought his son and said, please cast out the demon. The situation was not scheduled. It suddenly developed along the day. Are you following? Yes. All right. And Jesus said, this guy cannot go out by praying and fasting. So the question you ask yourself is, you see when the situation comes to me now, suddenly that developed, that I will not say, please give me two minutes and run back home and start fasting? No. So you must have fast, lived a fasted life because you don't know what will develop in the next year. If you don't do the fasting now, whatever is unscheduled challenges that will happen next year, how are you going to deal with it? You won't have the faith to deal with it at that time. And when you don't have the faith to deal with it at that time, the phrase that is written could not, is, you can also substitute that for one word, failure. The solutions are not developed. I don't know. You don't know. I, you can't tell me you know. And I don't know. I can't tell you I know. Exactly every single thing that will happen to you in the next 100 days. I don't know. I don't know what your days are going to look like in the next 100 days it's in specifics. But I do know this, though. That as part of those 100 days, there will be good things. There will, be, there will also be challenging things. So how do we stand on the day of the challenge? It's the fast we do now. Yes. No engine, no plane gets into the air before they start their engine. You start on the ground. You rev it on the ground. You take it to the max on the ground. If not, there will be no lift. So what we are doing right now then is we're saying, well, well, if that's the case, then why can't, we, why can't we just do one day? You see, the size of the plane is what determines the length of the runway. That's what determines the length of the runway. The biggest plane they tell us is this um, big massive Airbus plane, A320 or something like that, that takes about 800 people. You know, it's not the same thing as, as the runway for it. We see the runway. It's not every airport that can handle it. You, the runway is very, very, very long. And some of you, your destiny, don't compare so well. I have a friend. They don't even fast. Look at what they do. But you see, their, 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 their plane is small. Their plane is small. You don't know your own destiny is different. Your own destiny is different. My own destiny is different. So I, 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 need, I need to have this long runway because I want to take off in an unusual way. And so when I take off, I don't want to come down. Listen to me now. The most dangerous time for a plane is when it's taking off or when it's landing. Now, the landing part is when we're concluding our assignments. But right now, some of you have not even started anything. 
listen to me, buying one or two houses here and there, having a few amounts of money here, one in RRSP, one in RRA, one in this and that, that's not necessarily destiny. That's not necessarily destiny. Anything that after you have gone, people cannot be sleep, waking up in the morning and thanking God for, it's not really destiny. It's not really destiny. It's not really destiny. So we gotta we gotta really, really understand that. The things that the Bible tells us that after these things the Gentiles seek. It's not, don't get me wrong, those things are not wrong. They're good, they're okay, they're good testimonies. But what I'm saying is that they cannot be your primary reason for existence. Birds have houses, rabbits have holes, and it's comfortable. So how can you now reduce yourself to that level? The Bible says, go to the ant. They don't, because of winter, they don't go out. It says, but they have stored their food. That's savings. Ants have savings. So you can't measure your life by savings. You're just like an ant then. If you're looking at your savings and say, well, I think I've done well for myself. You're just like an ant. The Bible have just put you at that level. That's why the Bible says in Psalm 49 verse 20, it said, he that in the position of honor and does not have understanding is like a beast. Your life is bigger than that. Your life is way bigger than that. It's way bigger than that. When you fast, when you fast, so the fasting must be scheduled. The fasting is compulsory. It's compulsory. Somebody else might say, well, you know, one of the things I, I, I do fasting, but I just don't like the fact what I'm kind of a bit resistant to is this whole concept and idea that somebody somewhere will wake up one day without consulting me and they will say they're calling a fast. I, I, I don't like that idea. I like the idea that if I want to do the fast, I'll do it by myself. Fair enough. Fair enough. I, I don't, I, I'm looking at my time. I don't have time to answer you. <laughs> so after, I, won't, I won't answer you. You go ahead, just do whatever you want to do. It's, just, it's okay. Do anything you want to do, that's fine. That's fine. That's all right. If somebody doesn't have the time, the right to give you an instruction for you to improve your relationship with God, then you don't have a right to receive and by saying amen when they pray for you. Fasting. So let's talk a little bit more. Let's, let me just tell you the thing Jesus said. Matthew chapter six, chapter 6, verse 19 to 21, Jesus spoke about giving. So our praying, our fasting, and our giving. Those three things together help us to have a threefold cord that cannot be broken in our relationship with God. Oh, someone said, but pastor, you've not spoken about holiness. You didn't speak about sanctification. Let me say this to you. It is the prayer and the fasting that gives us that opportunity to be strengthened on the inside, to resist the temptation on the outside. If not, we can't. You know what Jesus said? Pray lest you enter into them. Is that what he said? Uh, you got to pray. He told the disciples, he said, pray. Let's enter into temptation. And even in our Lord's prayer, we pray that lead us not into temptation. Yeah. So it is the prayer that strengthens us against it. It's the prayer. And with the fasting, that strengthens our faith against the temptation. And when we are giving, one key thing about giving that giving does that many people don't understand is that giving is the only proof that you are moving closer to one key character of God, which is selflessness. Now you're moving away from self-centeredness because when you do give, whatever you are giving first and foremost benefits other people before it benefits you. It's going to benefit you, we call that harvest. 
But before it benefits you, the seed benefits somebody. Is that true? So let's talk about fasting a bit more. Isaiah chapter 58, let's start from verse 6. And I just want to bring out only one thing here. And um, we'll continue next time. Isaiah 58 verse 6. Is this not the fast that I have chosen? This is God speaking now. You can read it in context. And God said it's to lose the bonds of wickedness. To undo the heavy burdens. To let the oppressed go free. That you may break every yoke. Verse 7. Is it not to share your bread with the hungry? See, he's talking about giving the down. And that you bring to your house the poor who are cast out. When you see the naked, that you cover him. Verse 8 is where I'm going. Verse 8. Then your light shall break forth like the morning. Your healing shall spring forth speedily. Your righteousness shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. So let's, let's just stop in this verse. Eight. Let's go back to the reading. Your light shall break forth. Now, I want to focus on the word break forth. Break forth. Break forth. Why did he say your light shall break forth? Why didn't he just say, and your light shall shine? Why did he say break forth? The idea of break forth means there is a resistance to it. There is resistance that needs to be broken. Which your fasting will enable you to break through for the light to shine. Now, notice that he did not say that the light of God will shine. Whose light will shine? Your light. It is the light of your neighbor. So then, let's look, let's walk it by because I try to think mathematically. This verse 6 to 8 is telling me, if I follow the fast that God has chosen, one of the benefits is that my light will break forth. So if I don't follow the fast, there is a dimension of light that ought to shine and ought to break forth that will not. The opposite of that, in one word, is hidden. That means there is a part of your destiny that will be hidden when you just cannot give yourself to fast. Now, you might have, you know, God might have ordained you to get to four or five levels. You might have reached one or two levels and be celebrating because you are mistakenly, and please pardon me, I'm not, I don't want to get you upset, but this is just what the Bible says. It says they are foolish or not wise who are comparing themselves with each other. You might be comparing yourself with some other people and be on level two. And be comparing themselves and say, oh, look at me. I'm so smart. Look at where I am. And not knowing that you have still five levels that you have not reached. You've lost out on. Because you cannot give yourself to this simple discipline. Simple. And I say simple because, you know, it's amazing how people get sick in the hospital and they fast seriously. Or they want to even go for some medical, medical procedure. And they tell them that you have to be on the, on the fast. That's it. They tell you that for them to do this particular thing, oh, you have to, you have to be on the fast. Yeah, people do it. And I've noticed, I mean, medically, I know that there's nobody that will miss food for one day that will die. You can't die. It's not possible. You can't. You can't. There are a lot more things that are important than food. Number one, breathing. But number two, the most important other one is sleep. Sleep is more important. You can go for seven days and not eat and not die. People have gone 40 days, they haven't died. But you cannot go for seven straight days without sleeping and still be alive. Ask any medical doctor. It's not possible. You can't do that. Seven straight days, not wink, one wink of sleep. You will not, by, by, somebody, by the time somebody sees you, you will not be sleeping. <laughs> yeah, you'll be sleeping. <laughs> you very, very, you'll be resting. <laughs> it will be in peace. <laughs> you see? 
Your life will break forth. So there's there a lot of more things that are more important than food. And when you look at, you know, when we read the stories, we teach our children also. We talk to, talk to our children about Esau. We tell them about Esau, how Esau. You know, if you look at what the lie Satan told Esau. Esau said, if I don't have this food, they say, I'm about to die. One meal. I'm about to die. And he sold something intangible. You know, when they even told him that, ah, sir, your life is going to break forth to Esau. If you can maintain this fast. He said, what is the bad right to me? What is the bad right? When people don't value the intangible blessing of God upon their life, they lose it on the altar of McDonald's. What is this thing to me? What is, it, what is this thing to me? You know, and it's amazing. It's amazing that when his father wanted to bless him, his father sent him to go into the jungle to go and look for an animal and kill the animal, roast the animal, prepare the meal, and bring it to him. He worked hard without getting it. You know, it's one thing for the, if, you, if, if the father told him, so I'm sorry, I, will, I should have blessed you, but I don't want to waste your time. Don't go into the jungle. He still went into the jungle to work hard. He did not get the intangible blessing. When the father called him and said, go and do this for me, I'm going to bless you. He understood that it was not financial blessing, money. It was an intangible thing that would bring every other thing. So why did he go into the jungle? Why didn't he say to the father, no, no, I don't want the blessing. I'm not, I'm okay. I don't need anything intangible. I'm fine. He needed it. But he didn't know he sold it. The author of, he couldn't discipline himself. Please, I want to challenge you. This is a very important thing. It is your own light that will shine forth. If you've not joined the fast, don't let anybody deceive you. Join it by tomorrow. Say to yourself, you know, and it's a determination thing. Say to yourself, I'm part of this. I'm joining this. I have said to myself and I've said to my body, you listen to me. You have to hear me. You cannot. I'm not going to be here. You will be the one dragging me around. You're not going to drag me around because body, you're not me. You're not me. In the book of um, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 5 to 7, Jesus said, a body you are prepared for me. That means body and me are different people. Oh, don't worry about it. You speak to it. I said, you're not going to drag me around. No, I'm not going to follow you. You follow me. You have to follow me. You have to follow me to cooperate with me because you are given to me to, for me to fulfill destiny. You are given to me to contain me to fulfill destiny. You're not me. So I'm speaking to you, you, you will not do with food for this time. Until I tell you to eat, you're not eating. Now for you, it might sound strange. But I am determined. I have only one life to live. I don't have two. Maybe you two. You think you have two. I have only one. And I don't want people coming to my, I don't want people coming to my funeral and coming to say things they're forced to say. Which is what happened in 99% of funerals. You know, he was a good man. He was not a good man, but he was a good man. You know, they, they come in and they are, you can see that they're struggling. It's not like they're crying, but they're struggling. Until, until, ah, they forgot the name of the other man. Until, until Veronica. Until ah, Veronica. Ah, they're struggling to find something to say. Because the life, she has many houses. She has a lot of money. She has a lot of cars. She has not impacted anybody. You know, and the Bible tells us in Proverbs chapter 10, verse 7, that such a person is only the memory of the righteous that is blessed. But the name of the wicked rots. Wicked here is not talking about which. It's talking about somebody that, whose life has no impact. I don't want to be that person. I want to be somebody, by the grace of God, that they will shut down a whole city. Well, I'm wrong. For the impact. No, this is not, it doesn't have to be an official. The government is forced to. It's forced to. Well, it's, uh, where are all these people going? Impact in people's lives. I want to be able to know that when I'm going, 
there are thousands and thousands of people that have been seriously impacted. There are people that are dead today. They are still living. They're still living. They're still living. Carnegie is dead. He's still living. And don't you get to think of, you know, America today, you know, is a different country than it used to be. In the days of Abraham Lincoln then, they used to call it fast, national fast, as in the whole nation. The president, I'm not talking of the pastor, the president of the nation will call it fast. Read it in history, in the 1800s. How did America rebuild? After all the challenges, after the Civil War, go and check American history. Read it. In American history, after the Civil War, what brought them back on their feet after the Civil War was the fast. It was the fast. Four times on four different occasions, the fast was called. And the people came and they cried out to God. Cried out. The nation cried out to God. And the nation would come and the, the people would cry out to God. And God started busting out strong, very strong inventions. Very strong inventions. And many, many, many things started happening in America. And wealth started flowing into the hands of the people. Wealth started flowing into the hands of the people. So we're doing the same thing today again. Can I hear an amen? amen. Your light will break forth in Jesus' mighty name. Your destiny will not be hidden. Your destiny will not be lost on the altar of food in Jesus' name. Your destiny will not be lost on the altar of food in Jesus' name. Grace and strength to be a partaker. Receive in Jesus' name. Grace and strength to be a partaker. Receive in Jesus' name. This is the end of the message. We are sure that you have been blessed. For more information, please visit our website at www.houseofpraise.ca. God bless you.